Blog Talk Radio. Give me the flaccid dawn with plenty of tailing fish. And the perfect fly rod. Yeah. And get ready for some magic. What an awesome piece, man. I got one. Oh, damn, I got him. You got it. I got him. Join Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. And it is another edition Kayak Fishing Radio. What is going on, people? I am your host, Charles Levi, also known as Redfish Chuck. I don't know if I'll be His daughter is graduating from sixth grade, moving on to junior high school, middle school. So if he doesn't make it, Obviously, he's got a uh, more important things going on at the moment, and that's fine. Congratulations, Shelby. Very proud of you. Uh, cool. So tonight we decided to do a. Uh, this is this is what we're going to dub your show, the listeners' show. So we kind of asked a few questions, like you know, what would you like to talk about? What would you like to hear us talk about? If you want to join in on the conversation tonight, feel free to do so. The phone number, as always, is 714-816-4727, 714-816-4727. Phone lines are open. Feel free to call at any time. Give me a fishing report. Talk to me about some kind of topic you want to discuss or you just want to say hello. If you want to Share some information in regards to maybe a tournament in your area, your fishing club, or just want to give a shout out to your friends or fishing buddies or whatever like that. Feel free to do so. Uh, guests, I see that we have a couple of guests in the chat room. If you would like to log in, you can do so using your, your Facebook or Twitter account, and then you'll be able to chat uh, there in the chat room. Um, the chat room has been kind of dull the last couple of uh, episodes, so hopefully we'll get some more people to jump in there and, and get involved in the show. You can ask us questions and that kind of stuff from the chat room. Talk to each other, talks amongst yourself, all those types of fun things. But anyhow, uh, one of the topics that was brought to our attention that, would, that they would like to or you guys would like to hear us discuss was how, and this is by Noah Miller, good friend Noah Miller here in Bavard County, um, how to not blow up spots on social media, <laughs> which you guys know, uh, 
can sometimes be a bit of a problem, especially if you're fishing in an area that's uh, that's tough um, or or heavily populated. Uh, so we're going to see. Hang on one second. I'm getting uh, cool. Anyway, um, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about uh, also to the CCA Star Tournament. You know, I, I try to look into that to get some more information on uh, on the CCA Star Tournament, but it appears that in order to get full content of information for the tournament, you have to be a member of CCA with a login. But I'm going to try and circumnavigate that system and see if I can uh, see if I can come up with uh, maybe another post that somebody has put up about the actual tournament itself. Let's see. What's the Texas version? I think they're pretty much the same. Um, anyhow, basically, uh, at the end of the day, what we're dealing with right now here in central Florida is rain. Actually, all of Florida is rain, rain, rain. Rain will not go away. So before we jump into those topics, we're going to discuss real quick a little bit about what to do when the rain does not stop. How can you go and find fish when the rain does, does not stop, refuses to give in? So, uh, first and foremost, <clears throat> obviously, you are to use your best judgment when deciding to go fish in inclement weather. If you're going to do so from said kayak, then you need to uh, take into consideration the conditions and the wind conditions into which direction you plan on going because especially here in Florida, you never know when you're going to get one of those days that's just going to blow up on you. You never know when you're going to go out and it's going to be sprinkling in the morning, but then all of a sudden the afternoon hits and thunderstorms pop up. And the next thing you know, you're, you're fighting uh, 20 to 30 knot winds. And, uh, you know, then you have to deal with the lightning possibility, lightning threat. So um, for me, when we have these, bands of rain that come through. Uh, I don't mind fishing in the rain. Fish don't mind. They're already wet. So, but I, I do tend to leave the paddle craft at home and go, go by way of foot and find fish that way. Um, I think that it's, uh, A, it's a safer opportunity, but also, too, the rain brings opportunity. And the rain brings uh, moving water situation, ditches, uh, culverts and things like that, that if you're familiar with your area and you know where some of these locations are, are you can go and target your specific uh, species you're trying to catch, whether it be redfish or trout or snook or tarpon or black drum or whatever. Um, or if you're a bass fisherman, areas where water's moving will always bring fish. Anytime you get moving water, you can, you can count on there being something within a close vicinity of it because moving water brings bait. And prey items. Doesn't matter if you're uh, on an ocean flat in the Bahamas, or if you're in Panama, or anywhere in the world, really. Anytime the water moves, you're going to find fish. You're going to find predatory fish. Uh, I found this to be true when on my last trip over to the Bahamas. When the tide starts to move and starts to drop, and the water starts to really kind of move out of the uh, the flat region in and around the rocks and such that's when you start to really see numbers of fish, your trigger fish, your permit, your, your bone fish, and those types of things 
really starting to show up sharks as well. And uh, they're all there for the same reason. The water leaves, but the water carries with it some prey items or can dislodge prey items and get them kind of moving around and make it a little bit easier to find a, a snack. Fishing around culverts and fishing around dike roads and things like that or fishing around ditches that lead out into an intercoastal or a back bay or a marshy area do the exact same thing. Um, there's no difference there, um, except for one's the tide, one's rain-driven. But still, uh, minnows and shrimp and crabs and all those types of things are all um, carried downstream, if you will, and uh, into the mouths of waiting and hungry fish, which is cool. Um, really can present a, an opportunity to catch not only quality fish, but a good number of quality fish without having to venture too far. Uh, maybe away from your vehicle in case the inclement weather should get much worse. And it looks like we're going to get some pretty significant rain here in a day or two, um, uh, and then over the weekend as well. Uh, we got that low-pressure system that's working down in the Caribbean right now, and it looks like it's going to make its way up into the Gulf. So that should bring us bands of rain throughout the weekend, some of it being pretty significant, especially when uh, the air temperature starts to heat up a little bit throughout the day. That uh, usually typically you'll send off the thunderstorm type situation. So be careful if you decide to venture out and uh, do some fishing during the inclement weather. And speaking of inclement weather, this man has had his fair share of inclement weather over this winter. Uh, I don't know what it's like in Atlanta right now, but maybe James will tell us what is going on, sir. North side represent. North side, north side. How is the weather it is, this particular uh, evening? It is, um, we went from uh, an extended winter to summer. It is now somewhere hitting between 78 and 91, and tonight it's raining. We got thunderstorms. But we had some temperature up in the 90s and some high 80s, and then this week it's going to be in the low 80s, high 70s, high 70s, low 80s, and rain. We need the rain. It got real dry. Well, it's better than being cold and miserable. True, true. The fishing is, you know, fishing is picking up. Everything's starting to move now. Everything's starting to get right. So life is good. Awesome. Well, tonight, but the most as, important as you probably subject, saw. Go ahead, go ahead. The most important thing is the greatest invention in the last 150 years is AC because ours, one of our ACs went out for a week on the top floor and we just got it fixed. Well, nice. I mean, not nice that it went out, but nice that you got it fixed. Yep. So there is nothing more important than AC in your house in the South. I don't care what anybody says. No, that is a fact. That is a fact. Uh, During hurricane season, when we lose power here at the Levi residence, the uh, house gets uh, incredibly stuffy very, very quickly. (laughs) You don't realize just how how stuffy your house can get until the AC stops blowing. So um, there you go. So tonight's topic, I think you saw probably, is that uh, it was kind of opened up to the listeners to see what they wanted to talk about. Maybe they wanted to call in and give us some uh, topic to discuss or what have you. Um, Got a couple of topics that were posted in the Space Coast Kayak. Whoa, try that again. Space Coast Kayak Angler page. Page. Yeah, beer. Anyway, 
uh, one of them was the CCA tournament, the star tournament, and the other one was how not to blow up spots on social media. Shall we tackle one of those now? We shall, we shall. Okay. Well, I think we're going to start with the how to not blow up spots on social media topic because that one could be lengthy. So Simple solution. The CCA Don't tur- tell anybody yeah. where you catch your fish. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and don't Good night, take folks. pictures it was awesome. of you Appreciate holding you a fish. Tuning in tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do don't don't it. tell your. Listen, I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it at some at some point in our fishing. I'm not going to call it career. At some point in the time in which we have been fishing, we have gone and bragged to somebody about, man, I had a great day. It was awesome. And then inevitably, you get the, well, where did you find them? I'm notorious for telling people I found them in the water. I don't like to give it out. I, I will I will give information to people, no problem. If you're from out of town, I'll be more than happy to give you an instruction manual as to where to go and find specific fish species you're trying to find. I have no problem with that because I know you're not going to be able to beat the place to death. Locals, those of you listening, friends of mine, guys I've fished with or guys I want to fish with, take no offense to what I'm about to say. I don't trust any of you. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't trust anybody. When you tell somebody about a, a, an awesome place, an awesome area that's holding a lot of fish, I have all too often found the same person who I took there or told about uh, the, the, this particular location in the spot multiple times, and then sometimes with friends. Now, I don't mind if you go back to the place and you fish it. Right, Bob Bell's joining us, by the way, in the chat room. Good evening, Bob Bell. Um, I don't mind doing that. I don't have a problem taking somebody who's a good friend to a spot, to hopefully put them on some fish or whatever. But I feel like that there's no, there's no respect in not not always, but there's no respect given for the location. And it, you, you see it all the time in social media. People say, well, there's no, nobody has a secret spot. Like, there's no more secret spots. So well, it's not really true. It kind of depends on the season. It kind of depends on the, the species in which you're, you're looking for um, and those types of things. However, if you go fishing in an area constantly, you fish the same specific shoreline all the time for specific species and you video it and you take pictures of it and you post it on social media, you cannot then turn around and get mad when people go there and beat the tar out of that spot. You've given them the information. And a lot of times you don't think about it. A lot of times you just take the picture in the moment and it's, you don't, you don't put your back to the open water. You don't take a shot looking downward, you know, so that you don't have a background in it. Nothing, nothing annoys me more than a blurred background in a picture. And I'll tell you, and I'll explain to you why. Because I feel like pictures of people with their fish are a snapshot of a moment in time that is like, sometimes for some folks, it's, it's like the moment, you know what I mean? Like, 
mm-hmm. caught that trigger fish in the Bahamas. It didn't matter if the background was in the picture. It was in the Bahamas, right? So the chances of anybody going over there and going, hey, I know exactly where Chuck caught that fish. I'm going to go fish that same spot. You're probably not going to, A, find the spot. You're certainly not going to walk to the spot, even though you knew where I stayed. It's just, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. It's, that situation's a little bit different. I wasn't concerned about background. Panama wasn't concerned about the background when it took pictures of my dolphin. Didn't care. Because, yeah, it's the ocean, A, so that kind of changes things up a little bit. But, uh, and there really is no <clears throat> spots for pelagic species anyways. I mean, you can find some areas where the, the currents may buck and you can get a, a rip going. And you might have an area where you may, from time, to, from time to time, find more weed lines in an area than you might typically find in a different area because of said rip and that kind of stuff. A whole different conversation for a different show, offshore stuff. I'm talking more inshore stuff. Bass fishermen, you guys do it too. Catch a nice big fat say six to eight pound large mouth or even bigger and you take that picture and maybe in the background you've got a water tower or you've got a specific building or a specific dock and those types of things you have to understand are landmarks to a lot of anglers you know especially like myself I know this river or this intercoastal by me like the back of my hand I've fished just about every square mile of it from Fort Pierce all the way up through the Mosquito Lagoon up into New Smyrna. And I know, I know a lot of shoreline. I know a lot of docks. I fish a lot of docks. So if you post a picture and there's a dock behind you, chances are I can pretty much figure out a, a, a good approximate location as to where you caught that fish. I'm not, however, the guy that's going to be the vulture that's going to say, oh, I know where he's catching fish. I'm going to go fish there because I don't, I don't personally have to do that. You know what I mean? It's just not, it's not something mm-hmm. that I enjoy doing. I don't, I don't want to beat somebody's place up, but I you think that, pot <clears throat> yeah, I'm definitely not a pot licker. I hate pot lickers, but that's just one of the things that, you know, uh, I think runs, runs rampant. And, and it's not, again, it's not meant, it's, it's, I don't think that the person taking the photo means for that to happen. I don't think anybody means for that to happen. However, it is a byproduct of social media. It is, and this has been going on since the Internet first uh, started with, with forums. When the first few fishing forums came out that were basically email-driven, right? I mean, you can chat back and forth a little bit, but most of the communications between anglers was done via email, not done um, in, in the way that it's done today. Um, even back then spot stealing, if you will, wasn't really an issue until uh, technology kind of allowed for the forums and the chat rooms to be able to post photos. And once that happened, you can insert the image link, you know what I mean, the the image code into uh, whatever it was Mm -hmm. you were posting. Um, Once that happened, all bets were off. I mean, you might as well have just opened up the, the top spot map circled all your favorite places and threw it up online because people were going to figure it out. Um, you know, I like to fish in areas that most people would probably just bypass because they look at it and they say to themselves, well, there's not a whole lot here to hold fish except for a couple broken up docks or maybe there's um, uh, a deep mangrove shoreline. But other than that, within, the, within a couple of miles one way or the other, there's not a whole lot of anything that, that would be 
um, valuable to the, the typical angler. But, you know, once you get to learn patterns and you get to learn uh, why the target species is in this area, what it's feeding on in a specific time of the year, um, you know, what draws it here, then you kind of open up a, a whole new wheelhouse to yourself and, and listen, I don't post pictures of every fish I catch. I think that's important too. Like it's not necessary. I get it. It's exciting again, but if I catch a new species, I'll post a picture about it. If I catch a, a redfish with a really cool spot or a beautiful redfish, super copper colored or something like that, I might post a picture of it. If I catch a, a, um, a big fish, a big, a big fish of a certain species on fly or on spin, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'll post a picture of it, but I don't overload my social media uh, pages with lots and lots and lots and lots of fish pictures because what it does is it opens you up to that. It opens you up to making that one mistake to where, oh, but that back, I know exactly where that background is. And there's a lot of people out there that honestly, that's how they find fish. It's the only way they know how to find fish is to either follow those who know how to catch fish or hire a guide or see somebody's picture, find out where the background is and go beat the tar out of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. A lot of us like to get uh, or like to put information out there for others to be able to use and go out and catch more fish. Um, and sometimes it's tough to do it without putting up actual pictures of the fish that you're targeting. Um, but just be kind of aware of your surroundings. You know, and, and like I like, like I always say, if you're using a good camera, if you're not using a camera phone, see, camera phones are great because they can take a quick picture, but if you're using like a DSLR, try to learn how to use the actual lens, not in auto, and not in the auto, in the auto uh, setting, but in the manual focus to where you can focus in or your fishing partner can focus in on you and your catch and then allowing the background to naturally be blurry because of the way that you're focusing in on, on, you know, you and the fish um, without having to go in and edit and then actually blur the background out with like different colors and all that kind of nonsense. It just looks, looks really cheesy. Whereas if you do it with a DSLR, the picture actually looks really good that way because everything that's important in the photo is in focus and everything else that's not important in the photo is kind of fuzzy. You know what I mean? Yep. I tell you what I have found out that if someone asks you if you're catching fish, if you tell them, "Yeah, I caught a lot of bluegill the other day," no one asks you where you catch them at. Isn't that funny? I don't know why. I, <clears throat> it works I every time. I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Well, even if you are catching bluegill, it's funny because people, like a lot of people, don't want to go catch bluegill. I don't care what it is. It's like, listen, man, prime example was my trip over to the Bahamas. I went there with the, what was the, the old, like the main focus of the trip was for me to go over there and make sure Jackson had a good time and the resort was happy and everybody else was, all that stuff was good and, and, and happy-go-lucky. But I had a species of mine in which I wanted to go catch, the bonefish. I didn't catch a bonefish for a number of reasons because I choked. Listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I choked. I blew it. 
I hooked one. He broke me off. It was the most incredible 20-some-odd seconds of my entire life as far as fishing is concerned. As soon as it ate, I got goosebumps. It ran faster than I've ever seen an inshore fish run and wrapped me around a rock and broke me off, and there was nothing I could do about it. But I didn't, I didn't like, hang my head and sulk and wasn't bummed. I, I took advantage of being over there and caught whatever would eat a fly. And, you know, sometimes we overlook species because they're not glamorous, because you don't get a lot of likes on social media for posting up a picture of a puffer fish. You know what I mean? Little, I don't even know what kind of puffer mm-hmm. fish they are. They're freaking awesome. But in the Bahamas, uh, on the bay side, behind the resort, there's these little coves um, and uh, along the rocks, these little puffer fish, they're like maybe – eight inches long, maybe we're cruising along in Mm -hmm. packs of like 50, like daisy chaining, like, like the tarpon wood or something cruising along the rock edge. And all of a sudden they all stop and they start picking up at rocks and messing around or whatever. That orange eyes, like bright orange eyes and like leopard skin, like, like crazy marbled leopard, leopard looking skin. That's crazy. Yeah. But it's a stupid puffer fish at the end of the day. But I didn't care because I'd never caught one before. I've caught pufferfish here. But I've never caught that species of pufferfish. So I made a cast with a small gotcha, and he ate the gotcha. I caught a pufferfish. It was cool. You know, it was like, all right, cool. Different mm-hmm. species. Never caught that before. It put, put him back, whatever. I think the bluegill, we're getting off topic, but I think the bluegill is the same. Like, people overlook a bluegill. Could you imagine what a bluegill would fight like if it weighed 10 pounds. <clears throat> yeah, it'd be awesome. It would be awesome. Everybody would fish for bluegill. Yeah, I wouldn't fish for bass if a bluegill got to be 10 pounds. So the, a 10-pound bluegill would, would kill a 10-pound bass. Like, literally. Like, not, not even joking around. I, I bet you a 10-pound a bluegill is so, would be so relentless and so ruthless that it would just Heck, the a bass to pieces. You know, bass would know yeah. what to do with themselves. They're feisty. But, you know, but yeah, but you know, but what you're saying is true. Like, you come back to the to the ramp too, and somebody says, "Hey, you know, how'd you do out there?" And you tell them, "Ah, oh, slayed it, caught tarpon, caught snook, caught reds, caught trout." Well, you launch from a specific location in a kayak, right? You didn't go that far. Like, even if you went five miles one direction. Mm-hmm. That's not that much water to cover. And with this great invention called Google Earth, I, can, I could jump on Google Earth from a specific launch point and start working a shoreline using Google Earth and figuring out, all right, well, if the wind was blowing this way today, maybe he was sitting here because, you know, you'd have this kind of false tide rolling around this corner. And, or maybe uh, looks like there's a little drop right here. He said he caught a bunch of big trout. There may have been big trout. So, so – Fishermen are becoming more crafty using technology to find fish, just like the Fish Brain app. Right? I don't know. I don't know much about Fish Brain or whatever. Is, is that what it's called? Fish Brain? I think it is, right? So, like with the Fish correct. Brain app, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it, but it it would appear that you can post pictures of fish and you can do that kind of stuff. But it marks you, or it allows you to mark yourself into where you found your fish. 
kind of the way it looks to me anyway, because it's got little dots. So I, again, if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I, I quickly looked it over, and my exact words to myself were, I probably would never use it because if, if it does what I think it does, which is kind of allows you to pinpoint your location, if I slip up and do that one time, there goes that spot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not like, it's not like when we started kayak fishing and in this particular region, there was like us, that was it. It was like me, Alex, Peppy, Alan, you know, a you know, handful of us, Wade, Brady English, um, now there's dozens and dozens. No, now it's hundreds, it's hundreds of people, and uh, mm-hmm. all within the community. And, and I'm all, again, I'm all about sharing information. I'm all about wanting to help people out and get them uh, on more fish. But at the same time, you got to kind of figure out: well, is it worth it? Is it worth letting somebody know where you've been catching fish? Because especially for us here now and don't again listen social media being what it is don't believe the hype like the fish in here yeah people are still catching plenty of fish but the fish population here is nowhere near what it was five years ago and it's there's no way that it can be just three years ago we had a massive fish kill that killed the entire banana river overnight so you know, while our fish, our our, our numbers of spe- our numbers of fish are down, yeah, you're still going to go out there and find a fish or two to catch. It's, it's that's just the nature of the beast. You know, you may go out and have a banner day and catch 12 or 15 fish. You know, but you, but it, and and so to me now, it's even more important to take the time to make sure that you're protecting your areas than ever before. Here, locally, Space Coast. Bard County, you know, West Coast of Florida, it it doesn't matter where you're located, Atlanta, Georgia, it makes no difference. And you see it all the time, like, at least I do, I see it all the time on social media, especially within the fly fishing community, where somebody will post a big brown trout, and there'll be a a log in the river behind the guy. And some, and like, like a half a dozen people will know well, you're like a ninja. I didn't even know you were back there. <laughs> Trey. Um, anyway, like half a dozen people will say, I know exactly where that log is. I mean, that's crazy talk. But it's mm-hmm. true. It's true. People are, are becoming more in tune with their local area, more in tune with their surroundings. And fishermen are not – fishing has become much more than just a hobby to a very large percentage of the community. There are people out there right now, tons of them, that they literally are trying to make their quote-unquote dreams come true and become something in the fishing industry, and that's fine. Trust me when I tell you I try to do it for years and years and years, and just I don't think it's in my cards, but, and that's fine. But so, so when you go out and you fish in an area and you take a picture of said fish and – uh, you, you know, you're, you're, the excitement overruns the thought process of protect your spot, and then you post it. As soon as you post it, it's out there. Even if you post it and then you think to yourself for about five, ten minutes, mm, maybe I shouldn't have posted that picture, and you go back to delete it, 
Somebody's already screenshotted it. A bunch of people have probably already screenshotted it. You, you put up a YouTube video. And my, my buddy Kwanzaa did it the other day. It was funny. He sent me a link to one of his YouTube videos. And, like, before I even clicked on the link, the little picture of the video that, that shows up in the link itself, uh, I knew exactly where he was. I even said, that looks familiar. And he started laughing. Because, I mean, but that's, that's what I'm talking about. I know, I've been, well, I fished the area where Kwanzaa lives once, one day. And I knew where he was in that picture. I, 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 I could probably drive there right now. I wouldn't. That's not the way I am. But like I said, so mm-hmm. you, you just got to really, really kind of be careful and be uh, conscious of, of exactly what, uh, what it is that you're doing. You know what I mean? And, and what you're posting and um, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I agree. You have to protect your area. <clears throat> My, um, I have a relative who just came back from Louisiana, and six of them went out there, and they brought back 125 trout and 30 reds in one day. Oh my gosh! And none of them were small. Yeah, no. That place is crazy. One day. But you know, it, they drove that's over. The thing. Good. So they drove over, fished, drove back. That's almost obscene. Yeah. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. But that's, you know, that's, Anyways, that's the world we live in. No, yep. it's true. But that's the world we live in now. It's, 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 it's nuts. Fishing's not what it once was. Fishing now, the fish now have less of a chance than they ever did. With technology and the you know fish finders of today, I mean, come on, side scanning sonar where you can literally pick. Uh, there's the grouper sitting outside of the rock. Like you can see mm-hmm. the tarpon cruising down the that, down the drop off. Like you can you can go underneath a bridge and say that piling has got fish underneath it. Like you couldn't do that 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It was unheard no. of. No, heck no. Yeah, a flasher. And, uh, it's 20 feet here. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's crazy. But you know, again, just depends on what you're what you're trying to accomplish in life. If you're trying to accomplish something more than just going and fishing, maybe giving out a little bit more information than you normally would may behoove you to get more followers. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it sounds silly, mm-hmm. but maybe that, maybe that, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. I don't know. I know that like my buddy Mark showed me the spot where I did most of the fishing in the Bahamas. Like that was, it's like his, not a secret, but it's, but it, it kind of is. To him, it is. And, and I get it. I understand why. Because it's off the beaten path. It's not easily accessible unless you know that that, it, that that particular spot is there. And even then, unless you have mobility while you're at the resort, you're probably not going to go there. I walked back from said spot 
And I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, my legs were cramping up. I was dehydrated, and I was miserable. Um, Even within eye shot, it was seven miles. It was seven miles after, after waiting all day, walking back and forth in thigh-deep worth of water on the Oceanside Flats of the Bahamas walking up, up and down the beach through the sand and everything, and then walking seven miles back to the resort. Like, that's a long haul. I know you, I, I That's what they make cars for. Yeah but, you, yeah, but you can't necessarily get a car to where we were at. Like, if you went and rented a car, you could. I don't think you could make it there. I mean, you might could, but there's a good possibility you're going to bottom out before you get there. It was we, we we made it there by way of vehicle in a van, but like a like a like a big van, you know what I mean? Like a van that sits as high as a pickup truck off the road. But even then, you know, I rode a bike back from there, and that wasn't that bad riding the bike. But uh, walking it sucked. <laughs> but you but you know, when you go to a spot like that that's not touched. I mean, the only people that mess with it are Mark, and he's not, he doesn't live in the Bahamas. He's there quite a bit, but he don't live over there. And the local Bahamians that are not looking for bonefish and permit and trigger fish and such, they're looking for conch and lobsters. So when you show up to a spot like that, just like you may have a spot here that's never touched. I used to have a spot here that was never touched. I used to watch people paddle past it all the time. And I would smile as I just took my time. I'd have guys pass me by, paddle past me. I'd be in a Hobie, guys would paddle past me. I'd be in the Jackson Cuda, one of the fastest kayaks that, I, that I've ever paddled. And I'd, I'd watch guys paddle past me and let them. Can I have one of them? Yeah. Um, and uh, because I knew that they either A, don't know about the spot, or B, are just on their way to go to somewhere else, you know? And I don't know. It's crazy. I'll tell you what. I had Justin Ritchie, uh, my good, good buddy Justin Ritchie, my brother from another mother. Um, he, uh, he was fishing with me and some other folks in the lagoon one day, and we were coming back from having traveled across the lagoon and everything else. Um, uh, hang on a second. So, uh, let's pull somebody on. Kai, Fishing Radio, who's this? Uh, it's Justin. It is Justin. Yeah, uh, what's up? That? Yeah, I was just, talk- <laughs> just talking about you. Let me finish the story real quick. So, we yeah. were we were fishing the east side of the Mosquito Lagoon and uh, I had a, a decent day, right? We, did, we didn't crush it, but I had a decent day, caught some fish. We we're coming back yeah. to, the, to the ramp and I point over to a spot and I'm like, dude, I promise you, every time that I fish that spot right there, I catch a fish. So go over there and catch a fish. And what'd you do? I went over and I got a fish and I didn't I didn't want to believe it um, because I had, I had fished that general area and had always gone over to the other side and it poked around. And I thought I knew, I thought I knew the area well, and it just blew my mind that, you know, just right around the corner, 
I mean, just just a little paddle away, not even not even like a couple, not even a couple minutes. And sure enough, you called it. It was like eight ball corner pocket, and that that was pretty much the story I was thinking about. Like I knew that's where you were going with the story. Because that was a beautiful mm. fish too. That thing was like deep red, gorgeous. Fish. Um, I remember it well. Yeah, but that's that's kind of my point. Is like we all have those honey holes. We all have those little spots where if you had to go catch a fish today, you've got maybe a, a handful of places that you know you could go and have the best possible shot at catching a fish and some of them make absolutely no sense like that spot makes absolutely no sense There's boat traffic by it all the time people paddle across it all the time and everybody overlooks it nobody thinks about it it's just one of those things it's like ah that's right too close to the ramp it's too much traffic it's too much of this too much of that but the idea is people pass it by the, boat, the charter captains pass it by. The guys in flats gets never even look in its general direction. And I, at that spot never fails me, N- has never once failed me, whether it be first thing in the morning or mid, mid-morning when I'm kind of working my way back near the area or late in the afternoon or right before dusk. You know, we all have those locations. And, and, and that's, just, that's what I was trying to get at is that we just, you just have to protect most of them. You don't have to worry about like the general areas, like you're out in the middle of the lagoon or you're up in the no motor zone and you're like on the middle of some flat somewhere. It doesn't make a difference like in those types of situations because people are going to hit it. They're going to they're going to find fish. They may not consider that to be their spot, but if you put a picture up and you've got launch towers behind you, everybody knows where you are. You know what I mean? You go to the no motor mm-hmm. zone, you catch a fish and you put up a picture, and you've got a cruise ship over your shoulder. Well, there's only one place in all of Brevard County where you're going to go, and you're going to have a cruise ship over your shoulder with, with uh, launch towers and big radio towers and other things in the back of the background. I mean, you can't hide that. I mean, you could blur it out, like I said earlier, but who the, hell, who the heck wants to do that? So, But there you go. I mean, if, again, going back to the original question, how do you protect a, a spot? being overfished you know, with social media and everything else like that. Take the time when you, make, when you make the decision to take that photo of that fish, take the time to prepare yourself for the shot you want without having to jeopardize the spot. That's it. Simple. If you're by yourself, it could be a little trickier because you're, you're trying to like work with the camera on a stand or something. You might not have the opportunity for an elevated look down towards you and the boat or the kayak or the paddleboard or whatever. But mark my words, if you post a picture of you with a fish and you're trying to protect your spot and there's the dock behind you, half of your local area fishing community is going to know exactly where you are, especially if the dock's beat up. So there's that. Justin, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Justin, Justin Ritchie joining us live and direct from Orlando. Uh, we can talk a little bit about offshore. I've seen you've been going down south and killing some black fin tuna. Yeah. Uh, what's up, everybody? Um, I've been a little uh, radio silent and rogue lately. Um, just kind of, uh, it's been a very different life now that I've been married. <laughs> I love it. It's just a mm. lot of 
like, you know, <laughs> tuna slayer tuna by day and then, you know, flipping burgers with a kiss the cook apron on by night. Like, that's, it's kind of nice. Um, but, I, you know, this is the time of the year where I switch gears a little bit. You know, in the wintertime, I like, you know, picking and choosing the calm days and getting out and hitting the flats and just, you know, remembering every year why I like going and getting skinny and getting fish in the lagoon and the river. But, uh, you know, once it starts to warm up and you get water temps anywhere in the seventies, um, I wait for the call. Like I, I, I wait for the call from, uh, young guy, Bobby Buzaki who lives down South and he is so in tune with the offshore kayak network down there that, you know, he's reading the post and he's asking his friends. I mean, as soon as April 1st hits, we're looking for tuna and, you know, Hands down, for anybody that knows me well, tarpon is is still my favorite species. But just in this year, there has been a contender to that, and that's tuna. I don't care what size it is, whether it's a two-pound football or a 30-pound jumbo, um, I have a new found healthy respect for anything offshore kayak fishing in South Florida. Or, I mean, even in the panhandle, I just haven't had the opportunity to, you know, to make it up there and go for snapper and, you know, some of the cool things I have up there. But um, that's, if anybody wants a a change of pace and is willing to make the, you know, about a two-hour drive anywhere from Central Florida or if you're over on the East Coast, please, please do yourself, you know, some service and drive down south, do the offshore kayak thing. Um, They're there are a lot of moving parts and pieces to get out there and, and do it successfully and do it safely. Um, like number one, never try to go down by yourself, you know, even on a calm day, always do the buddy system. Um, you, you don't know what you're going to run into. I frequently find seven and eight foot hammerheads right back behind my rudder cruising by. And if you get knocked or flipped, that's a bad day by yourself. Don't, don't do that. But you know, Back to tuna fishing. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I've I've watched a lot of videos in the past couple of weeks of uh, you know tuna fishing all over all over the world. I mean, guys down in Baja and California, and you know watching what people are doing for blackfin tuna on the coast. Um, sorry, my dog's barking. Hey, bud, quit barking. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know even even guys over in Tampa, they'll run they'll run fifty sixty miles sometimes out of the west coast to find twenty pounders. But primarily this time of the year, you know, it's going to be flatlining live baits. Like if you can get live goggle eyes, either, you know, have a chance to catch them early, early in the morning, like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning when it's still dark out. Or, you know, getting some white bait, getting pilchards and free lining baits um, or vertical jigging. I mean, if you, you know what it makes me think of, Chuck, do you know the commercial? There's an old Skittles commercial. And there's one last yellow Skittle. And they're like, I want that Skittle. Oh, I want that Skittle. And they go, settle it the usual way. And the entire town rings a bell and everyone's chanting, settle it the usual way. And they all have jacked up right arms. Left arm looks normal. Right arm looks like the Hulk. And they all arm wrestle over everything. Yeah. You need that if you're gonna if you're gonna vertical jig and you're gonna take it seriously, you need an arm like that because it will wear you out. It is its own. It is. I mean, it is a South Florida workout program. 
because if you're going to vertical jig high speed as fast as possible, you're by, by your, your third or your fourth drop and anything, you know, deeper than 200 feet, you're going to say, Oh my God, people do this. This is insane. Yeah. But you know what, you know, for, for every, you know, 20 or 30 drops and you get tired and you don't pay attention could result in a 15 pound blackfin and phenomenal dinner for a couple days. So it just takes one drop. You never know. Um, but, you know, for anybody that wanted to go down there and do this anytime from, you know, now, pretty much while it's hot out, you know, you, everyone's going to have opportunities at kingfish. You're going to have many opportunities at sailfish. There's sailfish year round from Stewart all the way down to, you know, to Miami. Um, Wahoo, Wahoo make kind of a, you know, an appearance in, summer and early fall around the heavy moon phases, full moons and new moons. Um, and the tuna, you know, the big run of the big tuna, they, uh, you know, I guess what we've noticed is they, they tend to pop up from, you know, throughout the whole month of April and May. And then in June and July, you'll still have a chance at a, you know, a tuna over 20 pounds. But as we get into this summer doldrum, you know, you're going to see a lot more of your five and 10 pounders and, you know, go out and get five or six footballs that are two or three pounds. Hey, a tuna is a tuna. You know, it's 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 a completely different experience than getting up early, getting out on a flat, calm day in shallow water and looking for tails and taking your time and, you know, where it's all about accuracy. You want to make seven casts in a day, and out of those seven casts, four of them resulted in fish. It's definitely, definitely right. not like that. It's not right. like, it's not like site fishing lagoon. It's going to be, it's still simple. You have one live bait out and you're scoping and watching your fish finder. If you have it on the kayak and vertical jigging, when you find marks anywhere, 160 feet, 180 feet, 280 feet, 350 feet. Um, and just jigging. And other than that, you just relax you wait on that one bite. It's a lot of times it's swinging for the fences. So if any of those guys out there that, you know, have an interest and want to try to get out and do the offshore thing, um, swing for the fences, go out there for one good fish, one good 20 or 30 pound kingfish, you know, these next two or three months, this is the time of the year to do it. Uh, I am by no means an expert at this, but I'm addicted. Like if I have time off and, you know, someone can watch my dog and I can get out on my day off. That's, that's what I'm going to be heading down to do. So, um, anybody in the Orlando area, Tampa area, Brevard County, I am now the happy owner of two Hobie Outbacks. So Chuck, you, Alex, you know, we, we got to make this trip, man. I know we talked about it. Um, just gotta, gotta plan a day for us three to get out there and get on some belated, uh, birthday tuna for Alex. Yeah, for sure. I'm down. I've been wanting to do that trip with you for a while. Um, and Alex, of course, as well. You know, there's, there's, there, if you've never caught a tuna species, forget about from a kayak. If you've just never caught a tuna species ever a day in your life, you owe it to yourself to do it. It doesn't matter if it's, again, a football or if it's a chunky one. Um, there are very few fish in the, in the open ocean that pull like a tuna that run like a tuna that after you think you've got them whooped, we'll do death circles and then run off again and then do some more death circles and then run off again. And, uh, 
they're just they're fun fish and they're so delicious. I mean, it goes without saying. They're so tasty. They really are. Yeah, for <laughs> anyone that's uh that's it's caught a bonito on the coast, you know, those those ten pound bonitos, they're fun, but they are, you know, fighting a blackfin tuna the same size is a different fight, you know. You, you think about how each of these fish fight that we're all familiar with, you know, good size upper slot redfish or a bull red, they make their run and, you know, they make their head shakes and the really dominant, you know, the head shake and the tail beats. Really, I yeah. mean, it actually feels similar to a shark sometimes for people that are familiar with that kind of fight. But when you hook a tuna that makes any kind of decent run, when you hook a bonito, you, you feel the really, really erratic tail beats the whole time. And it's like, and you, you know at that point, oh, man, I probably have a bonito on. You know, when you can start discerning between the runs. When you hook a good 10-pound tuna and it knows it's hooked, it's like putting your foot on the, the line, like the level line machine for spooling line on a reel. It's like you're slowly accelerating to 60 miles an hour. It's not that fast, but it's a clean, straight run of and just one speed, one direction. And sometimes if it's deep and it runs under your kayak, it feels like that tuna has literally transcended time and space and gone into a different dimension. You're like, I don't know where that fish is, but I can't even tell where it is right now. It's ran, it ran so fast. So it's a, it's a really cool feeling when you hook one. You're, you're, you kind of don't know how to respond because – it's 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 just a completely different ball game than doing anything in the intro world. It's not it's not a forty inch stuck. It's not a you know it's not a monster red that's got the brute force heavy duty run. It's a clean fast run, and you know your gear will you'll find out pretty quick how how lubed and how ready your gear is for a ten or a fifteen pound tuna. Oh, Sorry, Chuck. I had to mute myself oh, for a second. Good. No, I'm here. <laughs> so done. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, experience was uh, my first blackfin tuna experience was behind the shrimp boats out of Canaveral back in the day when you'd find shrimp boats and you'd find tons of blackfins and everything else and you don't really see it that much anymore. But um, and there, I'll never forget the first one that hit a free-lined, dead, uh, what was it? No, it wasn't a sardine. It was a cigar minnow. A free-lined, dead cigar minnow on a spinner rod off the back corner of the boat. And uh, I thought we were going to have to chase the thing down on like a little 6,000-pen slammer uh, with mono. We had like 20-pound mono on it. It was before we used braid. But um, And then the yellowfins, just forget it. It's a whole different creature. The yellowfin tunas are so amazing. But that's that's not really. I mean, it happens every now and again. We've seen it. We've seen a few kayakers, like three three in total that I know of, uh, from South Florida have been caught. But um, the blackfins are are the heroes down there for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I pulled up a video from about a year ago or, or so. Uh, Eric McDonald down south with Deep Blue, he ended up getting a. I don't remember what the size was of that yellowfin, but it's probably it's probably thirty or forty pounds. Um, yeah, that's an, that can be a needle in a haystack. They don't, they don't pop up all that often, but when they do, that's, you know, 34 pound elephant out of a kayak in South Florida. That's a, that's a fish of a lifetime for sure. 
Um, but uh, for anyone, you know, that's interested, just if we want to talk like basic tackle, people want to go out there and do it uh, forever for anyone who's listening in, um, you know, basics for a jigging rod, anywhere from, you know, five foot, eight inches up to probably six and a half foot, anything longer than that. And you kind of have a weird action with vertical jigging out of a kayak. Um, it's like a six and a half foot medium or medium heavy jigging style rod. It will definitely make a difference in, you know, not fatiguing you throughout the day. If you go out there with like a seven foot ugly stick and you try to jig, you'll, you'll know after your second or your third drop, it's, it's going to be tough for you. Um, <clears throat> but you know, any, you know, depending on the current, when you're out there jigs from probably four or five ounces up to seven or eight ounces is, is fine. Uh, any colors work really. Like I, I have my preference, but, um, you know, natural colors, crazy colors like pink and fire tiger, uh, stripes, you know, you just mix it up. The fish want something different all the time. Um, but I think what's been productive is the deeper you go, you know, the faster your current's potentially going to be, uh, those knife jigs, like straight inline knife jigs end up being the most productive to getting down to bottom the fastest and helping you do that vertical jigging, that high speed jigging motion. <laughs> Um, it's been, you know, I've, I've been more productive with a knife jig than like a flutter jig or, uh, you know, just those slow pitch jigs that are really meant for the slow stuff that are, you know, in your shallower water for tuna and grouper and whatnot. Um, and believe it or not, you know, we, we found out recently, Chuck, and you know, I'd like to hear if you've had any experience with this. When when these tuna start popping up, here, I'll kind of give you guys a story of what happened, uh, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. I put up, you know, a post after a friend of mine had a tournament coming up, and we didn't, we really, you know, we wanted to see him be successful. We wanted to show some respect for the area and didn't really want to talk about this technique that I don't think a lot of people have applied, and we found some success with it. Uh, we were out offshore on a friend's boat. We couldn't take the kayaks out that day and we were freelining out some live pilchards. And by this time it was 1030. We had two 20 pound tuna in the boat. It's already a great morning. The jig bite was just not happening. And either, either it's on or it's off when you're out there, when it's on, you know, you'll, you'll have your limit of fish by 11 o'clock when it's off, you know, it's 12 o'clock and you struggled to get one or two decent fish, but it's still a good workout. So it's 11 o'clock and we're looking in the distance and we're seeing way out, like 200 yards out, little, you know, football, three, four pound tuna, you know, skyrocketing on bait. We're like, oh, that's cool. You know, they're, they're skyrocketing. They're probably chasing, you know, little flying fish or little fish in the sargassum or something like that. And we see a 20 pounder go airborne. We're like, oh, cool. There's some, there's some bigger fish mixed in there. That's awesome. But we're not about to chase them down. You know, they're, they're going to go down. They're going to surface up somewhere completely random. Um, we're really not seeing any birds marking bait or anything. They're just, you know, they're just skyrocketing on bait. We don't pay any attention. You know, we're still jigging and watching the fish finder. And before we know it, uh, you know, my friend Benny, he looks out the back of the boat and says, Oh my God, they're right here. They're right here. And sure enough, there's two or three dozen blackfin that are 20 to 30 pounds and they're skyrocketing within casting distance. You know, they're not coming up and doing the Benito bust like people see off Canaveral where it's just a splash and a push of water and a frenzy. These fish are mm -hmm. skyrocketing 10 feet in the air. 
I mean, like, so much so that these fish just dedicate themselves to jettisoning out of the water, and they lose (laughs) their balance. They either land gracefully, or they make it 10 feet up, and they go, oh, crap, and they body slam on their side. They're just happy, happy fish. Now, none of us are prepared. You know, we have... We're, we're setting up on a drift, and the way the drift was going, we were drifting in deep to shallow. We were drifting west inland, and we had two baits out, one on top, one on bottom. And, you know, the, the technique is, okay, maybe they'll come by the boat. Maybe they'll find the live bait. Um, we didn't have enough baits to chum, and we definitely didn't have anything, you know, pitch bait ready because they were just at a distance from a live bait. But one of the guys on the boat with us, he had never been offshore kayak fishing, and he has all these ideas of grandeur, and he had on this purple striped topwater lure. You know, something something mm-hmm. you'd think somebody over in Australia would throw for big kingfish. You know, like all the videos they've watched. And he threw it out there, and we're kind of we're kind of thinking, yeah, maybe maybe he'll get a bite. But throwing topwater poppers to black. Oh, hello. Yeah, man. Hey, how are you? Good, buddy. What's up, man? Who is this? Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was connected. I was, <laughs> I just thought I was no, on hold. No, it's okay. Um, oh, is that, that's okay. Yeah, yeah that's perfectly yeah, that's fine. Great. Who are we talking to? Uh, my name's Jeff. I'm calling from Philadelphia. Well, what's going on, Jeff? Happy to have you, man. What's up? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I was calling because uh, I'm a annual participant in the white marlin open in ocean city maryland yeah that's cool yeah you guys ever uh took took part in that i haven't i have uh, not fished the uh white marlin open but i followed it for the last couple of years and it's one of the most impressive marlin tournaments uh for sure along the atlantic seaboard it certainly is. It's a fantastic event. Uh, I, I, I've taken part in it uh, several times now. Um, it's fantastic. Um, I, I'm really pleased to know that you, you've heard of it because um, not many people know about it. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those events that uh, whenever it takes place, especially on social media, uh, you hear so much about it because of the pure number of fish that are caught. I don't think that I've, at least in the last couple of years, I don't think that I've I've seen a marlin tournament with the numbers of fish caught like that are caught at that particular event. Hundreds of you fish got within, right. a, within a weekend. You got it right. It's 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 it's, it's a pretty huge event, and uh, it's it's a really fun experience for everybody involved. You know, um, even even now kids kids have a good time you know it's fun for the whole family it's fun for everybody uh it's very competitive but on the other hand it's also just a a fantastic experience and uh i have a story i'd like to share with you guys uh about my experience yeah sure so um prior to this past year we went out with a friend of ours for the last couple of years you know he had his own boat and we did our own thing and it was it was it was a really cool time you know we we caught some marlin we we never we never placed or anything like that but we we had a really good time and it was cool but this past year my buddy uh whose boat we went out on he ended up selling the boat so this this past year uh this past summer i'm sorry uh we had to go out with a charter 
and the first mate on the boat was a woman. Okay. First time experience for me. Little hesitation. I'm not sure if she knows what she's doing, but it turned out that she was fantastic. You know what I mean? Huh. Like she knew exactly. Yeah. yeah, she knew exactly what she was doing with, with what we were just talking about before, like double line in the hook, double bait, in the, double bait in the line, and and all this stuff. And it was we we were just catching fish left and right. You know, we were catching more. It, it was it was fantastic. And the the reason, uh, and I always listen to you guys. You know, but the reason I called in was to say was one of the reasons was to say that uh, you know it's a growing thing uh, for 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 women out there like that they are they are becoming first mates. Would you not agree, or would you agree or disagree? Well, I, I would uh, say that it's 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 been around for a, quite a while. There's I know quite a few ladies who have. Uh, who have worked as first mates on boats, but you know what's, what's growing even more is the actual captains. I've noticed that there has been uh, an influx of actual female captains in the charter business, and I think it's a, a fantastic thing. The one, the one thing, uh, and this is actually going to parlay well into a conversation we're going to have not next week but the following week, um, the downfall – to a lot of this. And I think one of the reasons why we might not see as many women involved in the sport as, as we should, and as, as we need to have is because of the way in which these ladies sometimes are treated on social media. Agreed. Um, We have, we have a problem in the fishing industry, whether it's, whether it's river trout fishing, bass fishing, Inshore saltwater fishing, it doesn't make a difference. Offshore fishing on giant boats, it doesn't make a difference. We have a problem in this industry with this, this mindset that this sport should be dominated by men. And the woman's place is basically to sit down, be quiet, look pretty, and hold a fish. And I think that um, yeah. we've, we, we've, we've come to a point now to where those, the people who have that kind of a mindset need to be pushed out. The guys who think that yeah. the elitist type guys that think that, you know, it, you know, you, you're only catching fish because someone's put you on fish because you're a good looking girl or, you know, you're only running a, a cockpit on this million dollar sport fisherman because you're wearing a bikini top and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff right. is just garbage. Right. It, needs, it needs to go away. But no, I, I agree with you. It's no, definitely I, on the rise and I think it's amazing. No, and I couldn't agree more. And uh, the thing about, what even took it to another level was the fact that uh, we caught a, an enormous marlin that didn't place, you know, and we brought it on board. And I, I don't know if the marlin was sick or whatever the case might have been with it, but like it just had like this funky smell to it. And the crazy thing about it was like the night before, the first mate, who was a woman, I ate her pussy out so bad. Really? Like, I knew that was coming. What's up? I I knew that was coming. Did you hear that? No. What happened? Uh, I hope it dropped it before. I hope that me cutting him off, I hope it dropped it before he said what he said. No, I heard I don't think it did. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? There you go. That's the reality of doing a live show is that sometimes you get people that call into the show that want to try and be funny and, 
and want to try and have a laugh and everything. And uh, well, I you know I always admire Chuck that you know from from a communication standpoint, you always have a really good way of you know keeping it on keeping it on target and turning it positive. Like you know, it's we definitely you definitely have a, a good angle to offer. If we were to you know bring back up and talk about women in the fishing industry. You know, I think you and I would agree. Three of the people that come to mind immediately for the people that we know, um, we can think of three women anglers that, you know, that that push the bar and can definitely hold their own and keep up and and show that you know the fish the fish don't know who's on the other end of the line. They never care. Like we, uh, we tip our hats to Vicky Sally, D. Kaminsky, Tammy Wilson, amongst amongst many others that you know show it there there shouldn't be any kind of stereotype or um you know gender association with fishing there shouldn't be at all like i hope i hope in 10 or 15 years and i think you feel the same that if social media is still as big of a deal as it is that we look and we see you know everyone all races all ethnicities all all genders just out there slaying fish practicing conservation you know trying to trying to teach the next generation people coming up, you know, we, we want to see more of that instead of women in bikinis fishing. Like that's, you know, that, that just kind of pokes fun at the whole sport. It doesn't do it justice. It doesn't, it doesn't make you feel like it's special, you know, and then at that point it's just a gag and it's just something to laugh at. And it's just something to perpetuate, you know, guys in the industry. But, you know, we all feel like, it's a much bigger deal when you see, you know, a, a 12 or 13 year old out with her dad or their first time saying, I, you know, I bought a rod at, at, at a, you know, my local fishing store and, and I knew that there were some snook out, you know, by this dock and I went out and, you know, tied my own lure and cast it out and caught a little snook and dressed in the right gear and sun protection and a buff and glasses and hat. And, you know, it doesn't have to be about a big fish. It's just the fact that, wow, this person is just like everybody else. They went out there, they did some research, you know, they, they, they fell in love with it the way that, the way that it's, in, you know, it's intended to explore and to discover and to smell the air and, you know, like be able to describe all the details and conditions associated with that moment. That's what makes it cool. So, I don't know, I, I digress. Like, I could go off on a tangent about it, too, and I'm sure that'll be a, you know, another topic for another night. No, it's going to be, um, and it's and it's much deeper than just than just the typical nonsense that you see. Um, by the way, that guy just tried to call back again. What an idiot! And if you're listening to the show, <laughs> you you, you, you freaking moron. Uh, granted that our PG-13 family rating has been dropped to an R rating uh, for some unknown reason, but whatever. Uh, we do still consider this a family show, and if I see your number pop up again, trust me when I tell you, I just will not take your call. But uh, I apologize in advance for anyone who's going to, or I guess by now you would already heard it if you listened to the show after the fact, and I apologize for that. And There's no way for us to screen everybody and know what, what their intentions are, what they plan on saying, but doing, having done this for eight years, it's not the first time it's happened, and I promise you it won't be the last time, unfortunately. But anyway, um, no, the pro- and I and I want to get back to your popper story because I'm interested in that. But real quick, the problem yeah. that like the one thing that I see that just drives me batshit crazy is 
the fact that it doesn't matter what a woman looks like. It doesn't matter how she dresses. It doesn't matter how many fish she catches. I don't understand why anybody would ever want to put themselves out there in the public view to make a name for themselves in an industry where every third comment is like completely like just, I'm almost at a loss for words for trying to come up with, with the way to describe it. It it's uh, barbaric. The way that some of these yeah. men, or I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to call them men. The way that some of these boys talk to some of these ladies is, is a, it's obviously disrespectful, but there's no point in doing it. You know, uh, not to say sticks and stones don't break your bones, but words that never hurt me. That's not, that's not necessarily the truth. Um, there's a lot of ladies out there who, who are getting into the fishing industry or just getting into fishing, and maybe they're just trying to share their passion for the sport they just became acquainted with, and the last thing they should have to deal with is the kinds of comments that come across, especially Instagram. Instagram is by far the worst. Facebook, you can ban somebody. Instagram, it just seems like they come and go. And they can, you know, it's it's not, it's not, it, it, it's, it, it's just insane. And and I'm talking about things that, I mean, if someone had ever said any half of the stuff they say to these ladies, if any of them had ever said half of that stuff to my my wife, I might would drive across the country and go knock on their door. <laughs> Like no, seriously. I mean, dude, I, no, I, I know read, you. I know. You know, I, I, I've got a lot of friends in the in the fishing world. I've got a lot of people that you know I follow because I, I enjoy their photos. Like, listen, there's there's people there's guys that I follow that that live in Montana. I've never even been to Montana. I'm not a trout fisherman, but you can't help but appreciate a beautiful brown trout, a rainbow trout, whatever, with this beautiful background and everything. And it's the same thing on the ladies' side. It doesn't make a difference if you're a male angler or a female angler. We're all anglers, right? And, and in fact, some of our female friends that are fishermen, like Tammy and Vicky and Dee, would be ticked off if you segregated them into their own category because of their sex, right? And a lot of the guys that talk the most trash are guys that could never outfish any of the, these ladies or probably don't even catch fish themselves, and they do it because they have low self-esteem or whatever. But it, it's, it's gotten to the point, it's gotten honestly to the point to where it's, it's like, man, I've seen some of the comments, and then I immediately go to the person's page, and if I'm following them, I unfriend them, I unfollow them, because I don't, I don't want to be associated with people that think that way. I don't want to be associated with guys that think that women in the sport are lesser than them or that every woman that's fishing is only getting the, the publicity because they're, they're pretty, you know, and, and I'm sure there's a percentage of that, that, that may be true where they might get a little bit more attention through a manufacturer because of it. But listen, at the end of the day, that's the same thing. The same thing holds weight for guys. If, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an attractive dude. But if I was a super attractive dude, would 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 another company maybe be interested in, in tagging into jumping on board my label, Redfish Chuck brand or whatever? Probably, it's marketable, right? But there's a vast majority of these ladies that don't care about those things. They don't want to sponsor. They don't. They just want to go fishing and be able to share their enjoyment of the sport with 
the world the same way that anybody else should have the same freedom to do so without having to deal with the sexual harassment and all the nonsense. And so, you know, I don't know. We're, it, like I said, it'll be a topic for another night because it, it's definitely a topic that I feel needs to be addressed. Um, I, had a, I had a very good conversation while I was in the Bahamas um, with um, Jen Ripple uh, from Dunn Magazine. And it was basically about the same thing. It's like it's hard to be taken seriously in a, in a sport that is so heavily dominated by guys. And everybody has this preconceived idea of how, you, how that, that lady has made it, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's nonsense. It's garbage. It's barbaric. It's caveman-like. And, and honestly, it needs to stop. Just like the idiot that just, tried to, that just called and, and went on his rambling about fishing the white marlin open. He, he probably has never even seen a white marlin. But he's out, you know, he got his point across. He wanted to be funny and tongue-in-cheek jokes and whatever. But, uh, you know, same thing. Guy probably has low self-esteem, probably has no friends, and decided he wanted to try and do something funny. So there you go. Ain't nobody got time Suggested. for that. Ain't nobody got yeah. time for that. Popper fishing. Guy threw the popper. It was purple stripes. Pop, popper fishing. Dude. Okay. So, popper fishing, you know, throwing topwater poppers, I, I think it screams idea of grandeur. I think that, you know, it's, that is definitely swinging for the fences when you're going out there with a popper. Because I don't think that it's a common technique at least not one that's well communicated if you know the technique people do i'm i'm just now finding out about it um because you know when we when we go out we throw lures for bonitos and stuff you throw a little white soft plastic or like a little white crappie jig or you you try to mimic the glass minnows and these these were monstrous black fins these were these were almost as big as they come and the guy was throwing the popper out you know way like you short of him by 50 or 75 or 100 feet. I mean, he was way off. He was off these fish and just working it back in haphazardly. And I think on the third of the fourth cast, one struck at it. And we're kind of all looking at each other in disbelief, like, no way. That was a, that was a fluke for sure. Like, there's no way that a fish that big, that smart, that, you know, we're not getting on live bait. It's going to come up and hit a, a metal popper. Like, it's, that's insane. You know, but we're not getting any fish on the on the jig. We're jigging all day, and, you know, the week before, I got four or five on a vertical jig. But today, or that day, it just wasn't happening. And we were trying to figure out other techniques. I know that the local guys, you know, local guys tend to get just dead set in the tried-and-true patterns of what works because you want to produce fish, and you want to make sure that you spend the maximum amount of effort doing what you know is successful. But if you've got five or six people on a boat, everybody can do something different to find out what works. That's, that's efficient. Right. That's managing your time well. So I said, okay, I have these really nice topwater poppers that I bought like exclusively for fall and winter when the redfish would run through Sebastian Inlet and you drift poppers out on the south jetty. And it's a, you know, it's a technique that people do. And I, I had them in my offshore tackle box. I said, okay, I'll try it out and I'll just blind cast. We're not getting anything on the jig. And a friend of mine out there was doing the same thing and he was popping around. And before we know it, this school had disappeared. They'd been gone for five or 10 minutes. We're just messing around with poppers and boom, my friend gets hammered and it's a good 20 pound fish on this Yozuri pencil popper. And we're freaking out. I mean, we're screaming like little girls because we could not believe that it happened. And he's fighting this fish and he's getting it up 
and it does what tuna do best, and it runs into the down rod out off the left side of the boat. And we're getting it up. I mean, it didn't really take a long run, and we didn't have a lot of line out. It only it busted maybe 70 feet from the boat. And he's getting it up, and it's right within gaffing range, but because it hit the down rod and took off, and we ended up pulling the popper out of its mouth, and we were heartbroken. But at the same time, super optimistic, because these fish were not busting anymore. Wherever the school went, you know, we're not marking them on a fish finder. We're not seeing them pop in the distance. We don't know if they've made a beeline north. We don't know what's going on, but I say, okay, you know, if we've had two strikes already and one, one good hookup, they got to be nearby. So we all end up tying on poppers and the next two casts resulted in two good fish on my part, like ended up with a, a good 10 or 12 pounder on one cast. And then, you know, the very next cast got a 15 pounder. And I mean, we're losing our mind on this boat and we're screaming and jumping up and down. And I mean, we lost our voices. Never did we think that, Something as simple as, oh, they're busting on top, better throw a topwater lure. Like, you know, I mean, you see it happen, but more often than not, if we see, if I see topwater action in the river or I see snook busting on top and I throw a topwater lure, they're just going to laugh at it. (laughs) I haven't had the luck that I would expect to have when I see that kind of action anywhere. And then to apply it to a fish that's so highly revered and have it be successful we're all kind of looking at each other like, oh, my God, is this a thing now? So sure enough, you can bet if I'm going to go offshore and I'm only going to take three rods with me, one to flatline a live bait, one for vertical jigging, that third rod is going to be a topwater popper. I don't care. I don't care if there's, you know, like a little five-pound mahi next to the boat or a little tuna or anything. If I get bored, I'm going to throw a popper that pushes a lot of water because it's a big ocean out there. And if there's not a whole lot of sign of life and fish are opportunistic and you're one little thing by itself making commotion, something that, you know, is always on the move might opportunistically come up and hammer it. So I think that, I think that's well, a great you, technique that people should do. For sure. But you know, you know why that's so deadly on, on the pelagic species, right? Because uh, it mimics flying fish. fish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, this, the one that like, I had is like that bluish you, pattern with a I'll couple just, spots. It looks. Does it look like a flying fish? It looks exactly like a flying fish. Listen, so <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up your story with this story. So when I went to Panama and we went out to this one rock, I think they called it Wahoo Rock. And it was supposed to be like, we're going to show up and the tunas are going to be there. And I was like, sounds like a plan. <laughs> you know, I, I'll never pass up the opportunity to catch a tuna. Like, I don't, and I know I brought a fly rod down there with me and it would be awesome to get one on the fly. But if I see tunas busting and I can't get close enough to them with a fly rod, give me a spinner rod with, with, a, with a jig or uh, a plug or something. Anyway. They throw, down at Los Buzos, they throw GT ice creams. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, No, I have not. Okay. Well, look up GT ice cream because 
the heck with using a popper that makes a popping like you have to work like a popper. The hell with that. Like it, it works, but this stupid lure, <laughs> this GT ice cream, literally looks like a, just a chunk of plastic. Like it doesn't look like anything. Maybe maybe it, maybe it mimics a squid more than anything. It doesn't have tentacles or nothing. It's just like a hard piece of plastic with uh, through wire that you hook an assist hook to the back end of it, right? Like a vertical jigging assist hook. You put that on the bottom of it. You throw it as far as humanly possible, which, by the way, they throw like a freaking dream. You can launch the thing a mile. And as soon as it hits the water, all you do is crank as fast as you can possibly crank. There's no pocket. You don't touch the yeah, this you thing looks twitch the rod. Dude, I'm telling you, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And my second cast towards the school of, of these little yellow fins, my second cast, one smashed it right as it touched the surface of the water. And then landed, well, actually, I lost that fish and then threw back into it again. And it didn't hit it as soon as it hit the water, but as soon as I started cranking it, one came up and smashed it. And all it does is it skips, just like a flying fish trying to take off. Just skip, 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 skip. And if you're coming off the back end or the front end of a little swell, it'll catch air as you're just cranking super fast. So I've had, I, while I was down there, I had a couple of fish smash it, like mid-pop out of one of the eight-foot swells. And I had one in particular that came up and tried to get it that we saw, like it was a clear view of this fish. And it was a solid tuna. It was probably... We're not a big, big yellowfin. It was probably like a 30 to 35-pound fish as opposed to the 5 to 15-pound fish we were catching. But yeah, the crazy, crazy lure that you could also throw and let sink for a while and do the same thing. Throw it, let it hit the water, let it sink, and then just start ripping it back to you. And it comes up to the surface, and like I said, it, it skips so well that you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to acquire some of them at some point to have them in my personal collection just in case I do go offshore and you know, like you said, you come across a weed line or anything like that. Because to me, anything that eats a flying fish will smash the thing, and you don't have to worry about treble hooks. You don't have to worry about the actual movement of the popping because even doing that, you're talking about vertical jigging being a workout. Throwing a, a big offshore-sized popper and constantly chugging it along to make that splash yeah. eventually wears you out. So yeah. steady cranking isn't too bad. You know what I mean? Hold the rod tip up a little bit so you get a little bit of, of, of that upward motion for the, from the lure. You don't, wanna, you don't want it to dive down. You don't want it to be subsurface. You want it skipping across the top. So. But it was, uh, yeah, dude, there's, there's, to me, there's nothing like watching uh, any – any good sized fish smash something on the surface, let alone the tuna species. Yeah, I, looking at the design of that lure, that that thing looks really cool, and it it looks like it's going to mimic, like it would directly mimic a flying fish. It's got a nice sleek design, and then this kind of squared off side and squared off back with a single straight J hook. Um, so at least you know your yeah. hookup's going to be solid and stay connected. That's a cool. That's a cool piece of hardware, man. I, I I would be interested in probably getting that online and like a like a bluish green color and just having one. It's kind of like um, you know what's cool about offshore is you take a step back and you look at the playing field. It's it's no different than 
being out in the middle of a bay that's six or seven feet deep and just blind casting a top water full speed and watching jacks chase it. You're just doing it in deeper water for bigger fish. Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is. And, you know, if somebody wanted to go out there and try their luck, just blind. Oh, dog's barking. Somebody can go out there and just blind luck and throw out a big lure and just rip it on the surface. You have just as good a chance as anybody else. Yeah. Um, it's fun. But hey, I hate to let you go, man. I'm going to have to call it a night here in a sec. Um, I appreciate you letting me come on and chat with everybody, share some knowledge. Of course, bro. Anytime, man. Uh, you know you're always welcome, just the same as James and anybody else that wants to call in. For sure. I will. Uh, I'm looking ahead, trying to plan a trip with you and Alex here in the coming weeks. We'll find a day to get out there and go down south. And, um, Open invite to anybody else out there, too, if you guys are interested. Uh, my name is Justin Ritchie. Just, you know, just shoot me a message just for fun. Take out the second kayak, go explore, go poke around. You know, summertime, I spend a lot of time driving all over the state, doing all different kinds of stuff. So if you guys just want to get out there and you want to learn a thing or two, I'm, I'm not a guide by any means, and I'm not <laughs> trying to endorse anything. Just want to go out and catch fish and have a good time. So if you guys want to ride or carpool, just shoot me a message on We think we lost Justin. No, man, it's cool. I appreciate it. And if you can still hear me, uh, try and tune in to next week's show. I'm going to have Sergio from Old Bahama Bay on the show, and we've got some really, uh, some really exciting things to talk about. I think <laughs> some things I think you may be very, very much interested in. So, um, well, yeah. yeah, tune in if you can. I will, man. Thank you. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. See you, buddy. Yeah, you too. Justin Ritchie. Listen, there's 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 people in this world that are just fishy. You know what I mean? There's there's anglers that are just fishy, fishy people. And Justin is not only a fishy dude, but one of the honest to God nicest people that I've ever had the honor of calling a friend. Um, just a really, really good person. Wouldn't you say, babe? Justin Ritchie? Super awesome. So, uh, cool. I always like to talk to him. The guy's a wealth of knowledge. I have a question. But, oh, what's that? I have a question. Was Justin fishing out of a canoe, too? Did he get rid of a canoe and go to a skiff, or was that one of your other friends? No, that's Noah. Oh, yeah, Noah. Noah, Noah had a, did the upgrade from the canoe. He, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had a, uh, he had a good day. But, uh, uh, he got a little micro skiff now, but um, uh, have you heard yeah. an update so, from Noah about how he likes his micro skiff versus his Laguna? Uh, oh, he loves it. Okay. He loves it. Yeah, he yeah, he loves some, it. He posts some nice pictures. Yeah, he does. He, he that's he's another one of those guys that's just a, a super fishy guy. You know, he just finds fish when when yep. other people can't. Um, I met, I think the first time I ever met Noah, I was doing a seminar at Strike Zone down in Melbourne. And uh, he was there with uh, Greg Berry, another friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's a good dude. No, I like Noah a lot. Noah's one of those guys that you can hang out with him and, and drink a couple beers with him. And he's down to earth. He's not full of himself. He's just, and he's, like I said, 
super, super fishy and very much uh, uh, dedicated to the, to the art of fly fishing now, too. And, in fact, I think he, yep. he did. He started a small business called um, Florida Fly Company, I think. I think that's what cool. it was, Florida Fly. Wasn't that what it was, Florida Fly Company? I don't know. Just doesn't remember. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But uh, CCA tournament. So I said I'd talk about the CCA tournament. So, so basically, let's see if I can get any information off their website. Okay, so this the 2018 CCA Florida Star Tournament, Saturday, May 26th till Monday, September 3rd. Um, let's see. In 2017, the third year of competition, CCA Florida Star, presented by Yamaha, implemented the family-friendly fishing competition throughout the Central Florida. Uh, the, sorry, the coastal waters of Florida, uh, all of Florida. The 157 tagged redfish released in the state's coastal waters and 14 additional divisions caught the attention of nearly 6,000 registered anglers. All right, so basically here's the deal with the CCA Star Tournament. I've, I've watched it, followed it a little bit for the last couple of years. If you fish all the time, like if you're always out on the water, um, and you're pretty proficient at catching redfish. It doesn't make sense for you not to enter the tournament. I don't remember exactly what the the cost is for the event. Let's see if real quick I could see it. I don't think it's popped. I don't think it's on here. I think there's more. You need more information. You got to register and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, whatever the cost is, here's the problem: is that every year, inevitably. There's a handful of people that go out and uh, they catch a good quality redfish that's tagged. That's the key. You got to catch a tagged redfish that's been tagged by the CCA and you have to turn in the tag information. You don't have to kill the fish. You just have to turn in the tag information, right? Picture of the tag on the fish or whatever. You, you can go to CCA, uh, CCA, Florida, sorry, ccaflstar.com. Um, but anyway, you, then you submit this fish, right? If it is indeed a tagged fish from the CCA for the STAR program, you can win a truck, you could win a boat, you could win a truck and a boat, you could win uh, all kinds of things. Like literally, I think it was almost a half a million dollars yeah, by offering over a half million dollars in prizes and scholarships with a new offshore and inshore division and eight tag redfish prizes of either a new GMC truck or boat, uh, oh, sorry, either a GMC truck or boat motor trailer packages. Um, but that's not all. Make it even more exciting. Adult winners in the tag redfish division get to choose what they win from the list of prizes available at the time of their win. So, let's just say you caught the first tagged redfish for the tournament. You get to choose between all of the prizes, whether it be the GMC Sierra pickup truck or uh, a 22-foot contender sport, a 22-foot pathfinder, a Hughes redfish, or a 21-foot Carolina, Carolina Skiff Ultra. You get to choose any one of those things 
and that's your prize. Like you, you win yourself a beautiful prize. If you don't happen to catch a tagged redfish during the tournament series, it's not that big a deal. Like you're not out that much money, but if you, but if you do, but if you don't, that's what I'm trying to say. If you don't register and you go out and you catch a tagged fish, it's worthless. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's worthless. Mm-hmm. So they're doing some things that it looks like they're going to do. Uh, they're going to also have a offshore division. That's some nice boats, be, man. Looks like there might be some other stuff that will be tagged that you can catch. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, if you think that you're going to be fishing in a region where they release some of these fish, and I think that they they do kind of let everybody know the regions in which they've released these fish, then uh, it makes sense to throw your, your name in the hat, so to speak. It makes sense to pay the entry fee. Because uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine like the first week the tournament goes and you go out and you catch a redfish that's tagged by the CCA for this thing and you could have won any of those prizes, but because you didn't spend a little bit of money for the the entry fee, you get nothing. You get nothing. Oh yeah, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Those and it nice happens. Boats. It happens. Yeah, it's really nice boats. The contender, the Pathfinder, a Hughes Redfisher, even the Carolina Skiff at a 21 foot Carolina Skiff. That's not a bad boat. I mean, it's free, not free. It's mm-hmm. like whatever the entry fee is. It, it, you know, it, you know how these things go. Some people mm-hmm. keep them. Some people pay the taxes and keep them. Some people decide right. to sell them. And and if you decide to sell it, I'm not exactly sure what the retail cost is on a 22-foot contender, but if it's anything like their competition, it's got to be close to $100,000. Exactly. Same so, with the Pathfinder. How big is the Pathfinder they're selling? 22-foot Pathfinder? It's got to be a $70,000 boat. At least. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense to get into it. I mean, and, and you can fish You can fish it any way you want to. You don't have to You don't have to be on a skiff to go out and do this. You could be in a kayak. You could wade. You could, any way you can catch this fish legally, ethically, with a hook in its face. Don't go, don't go pulling up on a school of redfish and see one with a tag hanging out of his back and throw a cast net on it. Like, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm going to venture to say that there's probably a polygraph at some point to be, to be had, and you don't want to be the guy that, that got caught cheating trying to win himself something in a fishing tournament. Those all those people you ever hear of that, plus some of them go to jail for fraud. So, mm-hmm. but there you go. So that's your opportunity. That's your the long. The, I mean, the, that's the Reader Digest version of the CCA Florida Star Tournament. So I apologize if that that little tidbit wasn't enough. But like I said, if you want more information, I'm not going to read the whole thing verbatim. But if you want more information, feel free to log into. Um, CCA flstar.com and uh, or just go to ccaflorida.com and it'll bring you up to uh, or .org I'm sorry .org ccaflorida.org um, and they'll get you all the information that you need from there so that's all I got man really that's it Pretty much. I mean, I got a lot more I could talk about. So I, could, I could talk for days about my trip. I could talk for days about the fact that my 
oldest boy is going to be nine years old in, what, three days? No, Sunday. Sunday, nine years old. Have you you taken that oldest boy out with that eight weight and caught a bass yet? No. Because I don't have any place, I don't have any place that is close enough to me that is now not a trespass zone where I could take it to catch a bass without having to put the canoe in the water. And with all the rain we've had, I just... Yeah. Fox Lake, you need that's a, gonna um, be a topic to that's gonna be a topic for another conversation too i'm gonna have to we're gonna have to do a show about that you know it just it it boggles my mind that in a in a deed restricted community right there's no fishing signs in a deed restricted listen if you live in a deed restricted community and your child is not allowed to fish in the pond for um, who knows what the reason is there is no, there's no, no one can give me a good explanation as to why that is. I don't care how you want to spin it. You could say, oh, alligators. Dude, you, you get eaten by an alligator walking down the side of the road at night. You never know where an alligator is. You can jump in your own, you can jump in your home pool at night. Don't turn the lights on or even turn the lights on in your pool and just go run and do a cannonball. And there could be a gator in that pool. I've seen a four-foot gator on the side of the road dead on a four-lane major thoroughfare in Orlando, Georgia. I'm in Orlando, Florida. You know, a big four-lane, heavy traffic. Yeah. Alligator oh, yeah. got running over. And I'm not yeah. telling he wasn't by any visible water. Yeah. Just like yeah. a fish. A fish has gills and fins, and it can swim and go wherever it wants to go. It's like people, like, freak out when they hear about sharks in the intercoastal. I'm like, are you serious? But they, gators. They gators will... They yeah, got legs. Gators have legs and tails that they can use they as props to stand up and climb over fences. <laughs> Don't think yep. for a second that if there's an eight, eight to ten foot gator in your backyard and you got a six foot picket fence and he hears your little yappy dog back there yapping, 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 that he, oh, he, he can't make it coming. over that fence to get that. Yeah, he'll get that dog. But you know, it's yep. just you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of things on on that side of of the coin that that really irritate me. The the no fishing just bothers me because growing up, that's what I did. Growing up, I I, yep. I bass fished all the time because I lived in a in a neighborhood that had like twelve lakes in the neighborhood. So yeah, I'm gonna go bass fishing, right? And but it, it's just so much more than that. I mean, the fact that they spray all the chemicals in the lakes to get rid of the cattails and the, and the, and the lily pads. They ruin the water. Well, they just ruin the water. Yeah. yeah. They ruin it. I mean, they, they, they took what the could be carpenter. this beautiful. Yeah. They yeah. took what could be this beautiful, pristine ecosystem. You could sit out back on your porch and listen to the frogs. You can watch turtles do turtley things. You can, you know, see the wading birds come in. No. No, I'd rather sit there and look at a, a mud pu- a mud puddle, which is essentially what they all That's, look like anyway. Which is just a mosquito breeding ground, is all it is. Yeah, yeah, because there's no die. mosquito fish. Yeah, there's no there's mosquito fish the in there to eat to eat the larva. Yeah, that's yep. right. So, well, they didn't, but they know yeah. better than we do. Yeah. I mean, they know. Yeah. Some old people in the homeowners squat. associations, they know it all. A bunch turtles. Of, they're just a bunch of city people. City people. Maybe they're just not turtle enough for the turtle club. Turtle, no, no. turtle, turtle. Anyway, um, I digress. But this summer, this summer, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that 
we'll be able to get Trey and Logan both out on some water somewhere that I feel comfortable taking them so that they can catch some fish because uh, they're overdue. So they're overdue. Fox Lake is a good-looking lake, but some of the good-looking areas need a boat to get to. Yeah, Fox Lake for sure needs a, needs a, a paddle craft or a boat. I would feel honestly, yep. I would fish. I would fish Fox Lake from any paddle craft, but I wouldn't take my kid in Fox Lake in a paddle craft. There's there's a lot of lizards that live in Fox Lake, and I'm really? I know I'm not I'm not yeah God come on I'm not scared of, of alligators. I ha, I have a respect for alligators, but I don't fear them. If I feared them, I'd never go anywhere in Florida with water. Yeah, but. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, here in Florida, you got gators. I don't yeah, care where you but at. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to not put either one of them in the position to where it could become an issue. So, yeah. uh, in a paddle craft, in a boat, again, in a boat, it, it wouldn't make a difference to me um, because you got gunnels and you know, somewhat yep. safe. So there's that. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested to see what we're going to talk about uh, next week with Sergio. It's going to be a uh, should be a fun conversation. That guy is a riot, man. I had the best time hanging out with him at Old Bahama Bay. Um, but we're gonna he's going to come on. We're gonna we're gonna I know we're going to have some discussion of possible things come uh, to come in the near future for the uh, kayak fishing community. Uh, ways in which we can get some folks uh over there to do some fishing and stuff and um but uh yeah so i invited him on the show told him let's let's do this man let's, let's if nothing else let's just discuss you know the, yep. the the opportunity you know what i mean so yep but me and him will have a phone right. conversation this week and i'll get a better idea but uh tune in try and tune in live too to that show because if, if you for those of you that are going to listen to this after the fact because uh, you may want to call in and ask some questions or get involved. And I mean, I don't know what, what I really don't know what to expect with this, this particular show to come, but it will be interesting because again, it's, it's, it's the beginning talks of opening up a, a legitimate opportunity to go fish the Bahamas from by way of kayak uh, year round, not, not necessarily, uh, for for a specific event, but more so year round, which is really cool. You got anything else, Boston? It is. Uh, I caught bluegill last weekend. That's freaking about awesome. five weeks. They were bigger than my hand, and I caught a bass too on a five weight. Hey, uh, I will say this real quick. So, anyone listening. If you have Instagram, if you have an Instagram account, uh, follow I Fly Fish Montana. I Fly Fish Montana. It's a, it's a buddy of mine. He does a great uh, live fly tying uh, situation on Saturday nights. For us East Coast folks, it's, it's kind of late. It's around like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night when he starts, but um, – it's called Tipsy Tying. Tipsy Tying. So he, he, he yeah, he drinks beer <laughs> or whatever and uh, gets a little tipsy while he's tying. 
but he always has really cool prizes that he gives away. And typically, well, if you neat. watch, yeah, typically if you watch his his, his program, um, he, while he's tying flies, you there's a couple of things that you should know. You're going to want to keep track of how many flies he ties. You're going to want to know some some useless trivia because he's good at, at throwing those types of questions out there. But and, and just kind of pay attention to things that he's talking about because he'll ask questions throughout his feed. And a lot of these different breweries that he, he's uh, affiliated with over there um, in Montana and the surrounding states send him hats and shirts and swag and stuff like that to give away. Um, he just did a tipsy tying event from a lodge out there uh, this past weekend, and he gave away two five-weight moonshine fly rods. Uh, a bunch oh, of hats cool. and a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah, and at the end of the night, he usually gives away the flies that he tied too. So um, it's kind of a cool situation. Most of what he ties is you know freshwater trout stuff, so like dry flies and midges and and uh-huh, stuff like uh-huh. that. But um, which will also still which will really also work Yeah. Oh, for sure. But super super entertaining and, and funny. The guy's super funny. He does a lot of impressions and stuff. Because Christopher Walken is like on point, so. But definitely check out uh, tip, tip, check out Tipsy Tying, and that's on uh, it's on Instagram at iFlyFishMontana. Very cool. So, but James, man, if you got nothing else, brother, we're gonna get out of here for the night. Um, I'm gonna make sure these kids are in bed. Tomorrow is the last day of school. So awesome. to all you parents out there, congratulations! We've made it through another school year. Uh, hopefully your son or daughter had a fantastic year and is looking forward to the next one to come. Uh, if your child has graduated from high school, is moving on to the big, the world of the, of the adults, congratulations on that as well. Um, and, uh, yeah. So if you have a event going on in your local area, a tournament, something like that, you'd like to discuss or talk about, feel free to hit us up. Uh, at any time on social media and let us know what it is and we'd be glad to have you on the show to talk about it. Um, again, I apologize for this for tonight's uh, caller. Nothing I could do about that, um, but uh, kind of the nature of the beast. But any other comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to hit me up. You can find me on Facebook at Redfish Chuck, Instagram at Redfish Chuck. Uh, follow us on Facebook, of course, and Instagram at Kite Fishing Radio. We definitely would appreciate it. And uh, that's it, man. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you later, James. All right, man. Next week. Yeah, man. It's been fun. Thank you, sir. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, take a kid fishing in the future of our sport. Wear your PFDs and uh, be careful out there. We'll talk to you next week. God bless. See you. (laughs) 